I'm back, so I wanted to share a message uh, that has been shared here before. Um, during my time off, um, as I was you know, waking up at one in the morning to change my baby's diaper, um, uh, uh, a certain piece of scripture uh, came in my mind. It kept coming to my mind. And I remembered when this scripture came to my mind, I remembered, oh, we did, a, we did a study on this piece of scripture. And so that study began to be on my mind, and, and I started to think about it. And so as I was reminded of, of these scriptures and, and also reminded of the study that we did in these scriptures, at the same time, my wife, out of nowhere, one morning, she brought up this scripture, you know, this exact scripture that I was thinking about that had this, this message to it. And I was like, huh, interesting. And so as I usually do, whenever there are themes that keep popping up or certain pieces of scripture that keep popping up in, in my day-to-day life, I always feel like it's the Lord telling me, okay, well, you, need, you need to share about this theme or you need to share about this scripture on Friday nights because I think about you guys a lot. So that's what I'm going to do. Tonight, we're, we're going we're gonna to be looking at um, one of the kings, one of the kings of Judah. We're going to be looking at that. Um, Judea, Judah, 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 that's what it is, Judah. And um, so tonight, our main text, for those of you who brought your Bibles, I hope all of you did, but uh, our main text tonight is going to be 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles 26, uh, but we're also going to be in two other sections of scripture. So uh, I recommend tonight, uh, if you got like little bookmarks or little post-it notes or something, if you got something to, to save uh, the pages, uh, save these pages. So we're going to be in, like I said, Second Chronicles 26. We're also going to be in Second Kings 15, Second Kings 15. And we're also going to be in Isaiah chapter one. So those are the three areas, the main areas that we're going to be tonight. Second Chronicles 26, Second Kings 15, and Isaiah chapter one. And before we get into the study, I just kind of want to explain, you know, what, what's going on in Chronicles and Kings, for those of you who may not be aware. Uh, so uh, the nation of Israel, they didn't have a king, but one day they, were, they told God, hey, give us a king. Everyone else has a king, give us a king. And so God gives them a king, King Saul. He ends up being not a good king. And then who, uh, the person that takes over after Saul is David. And David was the greatest king that Israel ever had. And so... David was the king of the, of the entire nation of Israel. And then after David, Solomon became the king. But Solomon was acting a fool. The, the people were acting a fool. So after Solomon, uh, the Lord said, all right, I'm going I'm to divide the nation of Israel. There's going to be two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And so both of these kingdoms began to have their own separate kings. And as you read throughout Chronicles, uh, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, First Kings, Second Kings, uh, you, you read that, like, there's a lot of terrible kings. Like, as you, you know, this king did this, this, that, and the other, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he was a horrible king. And then his son became king, and he was also horrible. Did the same thing as his dad, all these things. So it was like a lot of bad kings for both kingdoms. For, for, for both kingdoms, they had a lot of bad kings. But the kingdom of Judah, they had a few good kings sprinkled in throughout. And so every once in a while, you'd read about a king that was like, and this king did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he reigned these many years, and, and then his son became king. And he did a good job too, but then his son was a mess. And so that's, 
kind of what, that's what happens in First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, First Kings, Second Kings. It's just the story of, of the nation of Israel, the two separate kingdoms, all the kings that they had. Most of them were horrible. Some of them were good. And that's what we're going to be reading tonight. So before we get into it, uh, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you so much, God, for, for bringing us all out here, Lord. We don't want to. We don't want to ignore the fact, God, that you are just so much greater than we are, Lord. You created us. You created the heavens. You created the earth. You created the universe, God. You you did, you did everything. And even now, God, you sit outside of of time and space, and you are being worshipped. The angels are worshiping you. The living creatures are worshiping you. The elders are worshiping you. God, everybody is worshiping you because you are worthy. You're holy. And so, God, I just pray that tonight, more than anything, that we would just have a clearer picture of who you are. Regardless of what is said tonight, whatever the topic, whatever, whatever is mentioned, God, I just pray at the end of all of it, we see you as who you are. You're holy. You're sovereign. And so, God, please change us tonight. Make us more like your son. I'm going to pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you're taking notes, if you're a note taker, the title of tonight's message is Success Through Seeking. Success Through Seeking. And like I said, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 20 26. So let's look at one of the good kings. Let's look at one of the good kings, and hopefully we can all gain something from our time in the Word this evening. So 2 Chronicles 26, so we're going to start in verse 1. It says this. All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. After Amaziah the king rested with his ancestors, Uzziah rebuilt Eloth and restored it to Judah. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God throughout the lifetime of Zechariah, the teacher of the fear of God. During the time that he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Uzziah went out to wage war against the Philistines, and he tore down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, and the wall of Ashdod. Then he built cities in the vicinity of Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and Arabs that live in Gerbaal and the Mennonites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for God made him very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at at the corner gate, the valley gate, and the corner buttress, and he fortified them. Since he had many cattle, both in the Judean foothills and the plain, he built towers in the desert and dug many wells. And since he was a lover of the soil, he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands. Uzziah had an army equipped for combat that went out to war by division according to their assignments, as recorded by J.L., the court secretary, and Maaseiah, the officer under the authority of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The total number of family heads was 2,600 valiant warriors. Under their authority was an army of 307,500 equipped for combat, a powerful force to help the king against the enemy. Uzziah provided the entire army with shields, spears, helmets, armor, bows, and sling stones. 
He made skillfully designed devices in Jerusalem to shoot arrows and catapult large stones for use on the towers and on the corners. So his fame spread even to distant places, for he was wondrously helped until he became strong. And we'll stop there. So I just wanted to make sure that we read all of these verses, all 15 of these verses in 2 Chronicles 26, to highlight the fact that King Uzziah, he was blessed by God. He was blessed by God. Everything he set out to do, he was able to do it. And the Lord was the one that was accomplishing it through him. The Lord was the one that was giving him favor. And before we get into the key to Uzziah's success, flip over to the book of Isaiah, please. Book of Isaiah, chapter one. Hopefully you guys bookmarked it so it's just an easy flip. Isaiah chapter one. And this is what it says in verse one. It says, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reign of kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah. Now, we'll pause for a sec there. This is how a lot of the prophets began. Uh, they, they, they let you know who was the prophet that had these visions, that, that, that said these things, and they let you know when it was written. And so Isaiah was the one who wrote these things or he was saying these things in, in this book during the reigns of, king, of the kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. But tonight, obviously, our concern is what Isaiah was saying during the reign of King Uzziah. So that's what we're going to be looking at. So just keep that in mind, uh, that these words that we're going to read right now, we're going to continue reading Isaiah chapter 1, but the words that we're going to be reading right now, these are words that the Lord is speaking through Isaiah during the reign of King Uzziah, this king who, according to Second Chronicles 26, did what was right in the Lord's sight. So let's continue reading and see what the Lord says through Isaiah. Verse 2 now. Listen, heavens, and pay attention, earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now this is the Lord speaking. I have raised children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's feeding trough, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. O oh, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, brood of evildoers, depraved children. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on him. Why do you want more beatings? Why do you keep on rebelling? The whole head is hurt, and the whole heart is sick. And we'll stop there, but... This kind of language just continues on, just an indictment against God's people given, given by God himself, indicting his people, calling them out on all of the things that they were doing, how depraved they were, how disobedient they were, how evil they were. And he's saying all of these things, God is saying all of these things while there is a king ruling who is doing what is right in his sight. So how does that make sense? How does that make sense? How is it that this king is praised, King Uzziah is praised for doing what is right in God's sight, while at the same time, God sends a prophet to bring an indictment against the very people in that kingdom? Well, let's flip through our Bibles once again and turn your Bibles to 2 Kings 15. 2 Kings 1.5. Now again, the question that we're asking is how is it that King Uzziah is being praised for being a king who is doing what is right in the Lord's sight, and at the same time, the Lord, through Isaiah, is, is bringing an indictment against the people of that very same kingdom. So let's read 2 Kings 15, verse 1. 
It says, in the 27th year of Israel, of Israel's kings, Jeroboam, Azariah, son of Amaziah, became king of Judah. Now, we'll stop there for a sec. I just want to say something. For those of you who may not know, it's saying Amaziah here. Uh, Amaziah and Uzziah, they're the same person. It's the same person. For some reason, he's called Uzziah in Chronicles and in Isaiah, but in Kings, he's called um, Amaziah. Don't know why, but that's just what it is. So Uzziah and Amaziah are the same people. So we're talking about the same king here. So verse 2. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. Azariah did what was right uh, in, in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. I realize I said Am- Amaziah. So Azariah and Uzziah are the same people. So Azariah did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Yet the high places, yet the high places were not taken away. The people continued sacrificing and burning incense on the high places. So although King Uzziah did what was right in the sight of God, and the Lord's favor was on his reign, obviously, the people were still acting up. The people were still acting up. The people were still involved in their idolatries. The people were still rebelling against their God. And here's what I want to encourage you guys with tonight. You keep going after the Lord. You keep going after the Lord. Regardless of what the people around you are doing, you keep going after God. You keep reading your Bibles. You keep studying your Bible. You keep spending time with God in prayer and in intimate times of worship. You keep meeting with the body like they did in Acts 2.42, where it says that they were devoting themselves to the teaching of God's word and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. You keep doing these things. And, and do not get discouraged or distracted by the mess that is going on around you, the disobedience to God that is going on around you, the rebellion against God that is going on around you, even from your own people, even among so-called brothers and sisters in Christ, even if your own brothers and sisters are falling into all kinds of compromise, into all kinds of sin, you keep seeking the Lord and doing what is right in his sight. Your discipline and your obedience should not depend on what others are doing. God is your father. He is your father. And he has a relationship with you. He has a relationship with you. It's not you and him and your brother. It's not you and him and your sister. It's not you and him and your spouse. It's you and him. He's your father. So regardless of what your brothers and sisters are doing, regardless of what the people are doing, you keep going after God in love and in truth. You keep being obedient to God's call in your life, which according to John 6, 29, is to believe in him and all of the implications that come with that belief. God's call in our lives and the work that he has given us to do at its foundation is to believe in the one whom he has sent. And that belief will have implications in our lives. 
You keep seeking the Lord regardless of the nonsense that is going on around you. That's what King Uzziah did. That's exactly what King Uzziah did. Turn back to 2 Chronicles 26. 2 Chronicles 26. So keep seeking the Lord regardless of what's going on around you. That's what Uzziah did. That's what we need to do. Why? Well, before we read the rest of our verses, before we read the verse, while the people were getting scolded, the people were getting scolded in Isaiah chapter 1, while they were getting scolded and reprimanded by God through the prophet Isaiah, what was, the, what was King Uzziah experiencing? What was his experience? How, how, he was experiencing the favor of God, right? That's what we read in our first, first 15 verses in 2 Chronicles 26. And what was the reason that King Uzziah was experiencing the favor of God? What was the key to King Uzziah's success in the Lord? Well, 2 Chronicles 26 verse 5, it says this. King Uzziah, he sought God throughout the lifetime of Zechariah, the teacher of the fear of God. During the time that he sought the Lord, God gave him success. During the time that King Uzziah sought the Lord, God gave him success. As long as he was seeking the Lord, God made him successful. And he had a lot of success, as we read in those 15 verses. Everything he was doing was prospering. Again, why? Because he was seeking the Lord. And it's not necessarily that he was given financial success. A lot of times people, they hear the word success and they start to think in monetary terms. They tend to think in in outward, self-satisfying, self-gratifying terms when you hear the word success. That's not the success that we're talking about. That's not the success that's talked about in 2 Chronicles 26. That's not the success that the Bible as a whole talks about. We're talking about the success that says, I am following the Lord. I am seeking him. And it is for that reason that God's will in my life is being accomplished. Whatever that means. Money, no money, great influence. You affect millions of people or very little influence. You're just affecting a handful of people. Whatever it means, it's all being done for the kingdom of God, for the proclamation of Jesus and his gospel, and it's being done for his glory. Not for accolades, not for recognition from others, not for awards. One of the strangest things that I, that I have found, in my opinion, in, in the American Christian culture are like, award shows, like Christian award shows. That's just so weird to me. The Dove Awards, the K-Love Awards, like it's, it's strange. Like, like we're spending an entire night just praising each other. And, you know, I get it. You know, we're supposed to honor each other and be thankful for each other and all that stuff, but it's just weird, you know? And, and like, and look, this is just what goes through my mind. Like, you know that all of these people that are at these award shows, they spent way too much time thinking about what they were going to wear and how they were going to look. Because if I win an award, I got to be looking good up there. Like, it's just, it's so vain. It just, there's just, a lot of it just seems so vain to me. My opinion, I'm sorry if that offends you, but it just, it's weird. But we don't view success, we, us believers, we don't view success in the same way that the world views success. It's not necessarily about the end result of the big paycheck or the the recognition or the award. 
but it's about the obedience that happens throughout the process. For us, it's about the obedience that happens throughout the process. Your obedience that happens throughout the process. Colossians 4 says that God's will for our lives is our sanctification. That's his will for our lives, our holiness. God, he has called us to be pure. God has called us to be pure. So God, he is much more concerned with our character. He's much more concerned with our character and the intentions of our hearts rather than the end results of financial success or, or climbing the ladder or, or whatever it is that you personally might equate with success. God is way more concerned about your character and your heart. God wants your heart. Psalm 34, it says to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's an amazing piece of scripture. I love that scripture. A lot of people love that scripture. Non-believers love that scripture. But I believe that it says, because, I believe it's, it says what it says because when you delight yourself in the Lord, the desires of your heart will change to those that are pleasing to him. It will change from God, help me to become successful so that I can retire early, take these trips, spend more time doing nothing. God, give me a great platform. I want to I I wear the clothes. I, I, I want to do the interviews. I want people to listen to me. I want my opinion to be important in people's lives. I want to be the influencer. It will change from that to God, help me become like your son. Help me become like your son so that I will be willing to do whatever you want me to do. Even if it means my goals and my aspirations will not be accomplished. How many of us trust the Lord enough to pray that kind of prayer? I'm not talking about like, Lord, your will be done. Even if my goals don't, my, my goals don't get accomplished. Well, now that I prayed that prayer, Lord. You're going to give it back, right? No, no, no. Like, like you're actually praying that prayer in sincerity. God, whatever you want me to do, even if my goals and my dreams don't get accomplished, I have this idea of my life, how it should turn out, but God, take that. And you are willing and ready to accept the answer where God says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for offering that to me because that's not going to happen. Because that dream and that goal, that aspiration that you have has nothing to do with me. It has all to do with you. You're just baptizing it by saying, well, when I get that, when I finally reach that goal, I'm going to give him all the credit, obviously. First, I want to thank God. <laughs> we want God's success, not our own. And Uzziah, he was seeing massive amounts of success because he was seeking the Lord. But what does that mean exactly? Well... Psalm 1, it tells us about a successful person, doesn't it? For those of you who know Psalm 1, it tells us about a person that whatever he does, he prospers. Whatever he does, he prospers. And it's a person who stays away from sin. It's a person who does not find their companion among sinful people. It's a person who delights and meditates in God's word. That person will be like a tree planted by a stream of water, they will flourish, and whatever they do will succeed. And why is that? Because the word of God is living and active. That's Hebrews 4.12. The word of God, it gives grace and it gives peace. That's Second Peter chapter 1. The word of God creates something out of nothing. That's Genesis 1. 
And the word of God recreates something good out of something wicked. Us, our hearts. It's Ezekiel 36. That's the gospel. The word of God, it transforms and renews the mind to the point where you have, you can have massive abundance or you can have great need and you will still bless and praise God the same because it's not about the end result. It's not about what you have. It's all about the obedience that happens throughout the process. And that obedience, amen, that obedience that happens throughout the process, it will create a person who will be content in any situation. That's Philippians chapter four. Naked I came into the world, naked I will leave. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So I encourage you all again, keep seeking the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord regardless of the disobedience that may be happening around you. And make sure that in all of your seeking, in all of your efforts, in all of your victories of obedience, remain humble. Don't get puffed up. Don't get arrogant. Don't become arrogant. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul tells the Corinthians that knowledge makes one conceited. Knowledge makes one conceited. The context of Paul writing these verses, that he, of writing the words that knowledge makes one conceited, the context is that there were people in Corinth. There were some people who had been saved out of an idolatrous lifestyle, a lifestyle of idolatry, making sacrifices. There were false gods, and the people would sacrifice animals to these false gods, and then that meat that was sacrificed would be sold in the marketplace. And so they were selling meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Demonic meat. I heard people like having a cow about liquid death. It's, it's witchcraft carbonated water. Relax. It's not that serious. Anyway, but there was this demonic meat that was being sold in the marketplace. And Paul was telling the Corinthians, it's like, we know that there are no gods. Like we, there's only one God. We know that. There's, there's no such thing as other gods. There's only one God. All those other gods, they're, they're nothing. They're, they're not a thing. They're not an actual thing. And so we know, Paul was saying, we know that we can go to the meat market. We can buy that meat. We can eat that meat that was sacrificed to idols. And we, and we know it's not going to be a problem. Fundamentally, we know it's not a problem. And we know that because we know that there is only one true God. Everything else is meaningless. But Paul also said, he was telling the Corinthians that they needed to be careful. They need to be careful with that knowledge because of the brothers and sisters who had been saved out of that lifestyle, that idolatrous lifestyle, that lifestyle of making these animal sacrifices to these idols. He said, be careful because of them. Christ died for these people. And, and when they see you, he's telling the Corinthians, when they see you eating that meat that was sacrificed to idols because of their former lives of idolatry, they're gonna see that meat as evil. It's gonna be infused with the pagan idolatry of their former lives, and they're gonna be like, oh no, what's going on? You're gonna make them stumble. Your knowledge, he was telling them, your knowledge, it, it gives you the liberty to buy that meat that was sacrificed to the idol your knowledge, it gives you the liberty to eat that meat that was sacrificed to that idol. 
and your knowledge, it gives you the ability to be like, yeah, no problem. But your knowledge also makes it possible for you to make your brother or your sister stumble. Your knowledge can make you arrogant and conceited and can cause you to make your brother or sister stumble. That's why Paul said we all know that knowledge inflates. Knowledge inflates people with pride. Knowledge makes makes one conceited, Paul said, but love builds up. That's why Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 8.13, he says, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never eat meat so that I won't cause my brother to fall. It's not about the knowledge that gets accumulated. It's about the love that gets produced from that accumulated knowledge. Fundamentally, I know that there's nothing wrong with eating that meat or watching that TV show or watching that movie or, or listening to that artist or, or going to that place or drinking that drink. Fundamentally, I know there's nothing wrong with that. But I know that if I have a brother or a sister who is struggling with that, if they see me doing that, it's going to make them stumble. One of the things that the Lord saved me out of was I was a heavy drinker. I was a very heavy drinker. And when I first got saved, it was a huge battle for me. Huge. I couldn't be around it. The, the, the temptation was so heavy every time it was around. Every, anytime there was even the least bit of alcohol around, the temptation was so heavy on me. After a while of growing in the Lord, the temptation became less and less heavy to the point where it, it wasn't even a temptation anymore. It was just like, oh, it's gross. Like, keep that away from me. I don't want that. Nevertheless, it, was, it, it is still a liberty that I have. That is a liberty that I have, but I am not going to partake in that liberty for the sake of others around me. I'm 35 years old. I am of legal age to have a drink if I want. I have the liberty in Christ to have a drink if I want to, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm I know the stumbling block that it was for me when I first got saved. So I am not going to use my liberty and my knowledge to be a stumbling block for somebody that who, for whom it might be a huge struggle. I'm not going to do that, especially as a pastor. I was at a wedding recently, and, you know, they do the toast. And it was like, you know, they had the champagne and a lot of stuff, like... I'm good. I'll drink the water. I put some of like the, the ice cream dessert in the water thinking like it would taste, oh, it tasted horrible. It tasted horrible. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to allow my knowledge and the liberty that I have in Christ to be a stumbling block for a weaker brother or sister. So we know that there is a danger for, for those who pursue the Lord, who pursue the Lord successfully, There's a danger for them to become puffed up and arrogant about all the knowledge that they're accumulating, all the victories that they're having. But like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what do you have that you did not receive from God? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Everything that we have is from God's grace. Everything. Everything that we have is from God's grace. There's not a single thing that we have that did not come from his hand of grace. Every bit of knowledge that we have attained, every bit of discipline that we exercise, every bit of, of, of victory over sin in our lives, every bit of obedience that we display, it all comes from God's grace in our lives. The very fact that 
any of you have come into a saving faith in Jesus Christ is God's grace. You didn't produce that. You, you didn't conjure that up. You can't. You can't produce that salvation. It's something that, that only came because of the faith and the grace from God. God has given everything that you have to you. Nothing is yours. And that includes any success that you may have in the Lord, any progress in the Lord. And if you are currently in a season right now as a believer, if you're currently in a season of great progress and great growth in the Lord, and it just feels effortless, like, man, this is easy. Just know that it won't always continue to be that way. It won't always continue to feel that way. You will come to a place where getting into the word and making progress in the Lord, it will be a struggle and it will begin to feel like a burden. You, you, you will rather do something else because that's just what this walk is. This walk is ups and downs, highs and lows, mountains and valleys, struggles and victories. And when that time comes, when that time of struggle comes, you're going to need your brothers and your sisters to come alongside you and to encourage you, to pray for you, to help you, to make up what is lacking in your life. That's why it was incredibly important for me, for Jesse to come up and share what he shared. It was important. For all of you believers in here, God has placed you in this body. He has placed you here, and he's placed you here for a reason, and he's placed everyone else here for a reason. God has placed you here so that you can be lifted up by your brothers and sisters, and he has also placed you here so that you can also lift others. We are the body of Christ, and we need each other to thrive in this walk with Christ. And you're not going to do that by acting like you don't need the body. Never opening yourself up to the body. I'm not saying open up yourself to everybody, because that's how gossip starts sometimes. Some people just don't know how to keep their mouth shut. So be careful. Be very selective. But open up to people. Take those words to heart. And right now, for those of you who are in a place of great success and great obedience in the Lord, look out for your brothers and sisters. Like Jesse was saying, look out for your brothers and sisters who may be struggling. God has made you strong right now. If you are in a season of being strong and progressing in the Lord, God has made you strong right now so that you can help your brothers and your sisters in their struggle. And there will come a day when you will be weak and you're going to need your brothers and sisters who are strong in that moment to come and lift you up and help you out. So remain humble at all times, but especially in your times of great victory and, and, and a prosperous walk in the Lord, or else you will get humbled. Make sure you keep yourself humble, or, the, or you will get humbled. The Lord will humble you. And that's a scary thought. You guys, you guys should already be at 2 Chronicles 26, so we're going to continue looking at King Uzziah. Just as a little recap, he began to reign at age 16. He did what was right in, in the Lord's sight, despite the people around him running wild. He remained faithful, and he sought the Lord. And we read that during the time that he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And he had a lot of success. But now let's read what happened to him when he didn't keep himself in check and he didn't keep himself humble. Second Chronicles 26, we're going to start in verse 16. It says, but when he became strong, 
he grew arrogant. And it led to his own destruction. He acted unfaithfully against the Lord, his God, by going into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense on the incense altar. The priest Azariah, along with 80 brave priests of the Lord, went in after him. They took their stand against King Uzziah, and they said, Uzziah, you have no right to offer incense to the Lord. Only the consecrated priests, the descendants of Aaron, have the right to offer incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have acted unfaithfully. You will not receive honor from the Lord God. Verse 19, Uzziah, with the fire pan in his hand to offer incense, was enraged. But when he became enraged with the priests, in the presence of the priests and in the Lord's temple, beside the altar of incense, a skin disease broke out on his forehead. Then Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests turned to him and saw that he was diseased on his forehead. They rushed him out of there. He himself also hurried to get out because the Lord had afflicted him. So King Uzziah was diseased to the time of his death. He lived in quarantine with a serious skin disease and was excluded from access to the Lord's temple while his son Jotham was over the king's household governing the people of the land. So Uzziah got so confident in himself that he attempted to do something that only the priests were authorized to do. He was trying to light incense in the temple of God. He stepped outside of his lane. He thought of himself more highly than he ought. And when the priests, 81 priests, when they confronted him to tell him that what he was doing was wrong, he didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear it, and he was about to continue to do the thing that he was not supposed to be doing. He was going to ignore the rebuke. He was going to ignore the correction. He was going to continue to step outside of his lane, and he was going to continue to be proud and arrogant. Rather than accept the rebuke and humble himself, he instead got enraged. How dare you? How dare you try to tell me what to do? And in Uzziah's rage and arrogance, the Lord hit him with leprosy and stopped him right in his tracks. Uzziah, he could have humbled himself when he was confronted. When 81 priests confronted him about what he was doing, he could have just been like, man, you guys are right. I mean, 81 of you are telling me, like, you guys are right. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. He could have put the censor down and just, just repented. But he didn't. He was going to continue to do it anyway. He was going to continue to do it anyway. And the Lord humbled him. And he was never the same. What started out in 2 Chronicles 26, what started out as a testimony of this king who was seeking the Lord, ended as a cautionary tale of someone who forgot that everything he accomplished during his lifetime was only because of the Lord. And we all need to take heed lest we fall in the same way. I don't believe that we're going to get hit by leprosy. And I also don't believe that any humbling or discipline from the Lord is going to be as permanent as what happened to King Uzziah. But the Lord will humble us if he needs to. He will humble us if he needs to. He will discipline us if he needs to because he lives inside of us. He lives inside of us, those of us who believe. We, we believers, we are the temple of God. We are the temple of the living God. And these temples, they need to be clean and they need to be holy. So keep pursuing the Lord. Keep pursuing the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord. It, it, it doesn't matter what's going on around you, regardless of what your brothers and sisters are doing. If your brothers and sisters are willingly falling, if your brothers and sisters, if they're willingly compromising, if they're, if they're willingly rejecting the truth, don't be distracted by them. 
Don't be distracted by them, regardless of what the world is doing around you. The world is going to do what the world is going to do. I took my daughter to a doctor's this, over the, these past few weeks. As soon as the baby was born, everybody got sick. So we took my, I took my daughter to the doctor, and it was, we took her to urgent care, this doctor I've never seen before. And, you know, I get home, tell my wife about this person, about the, the visit and all that stuff. And, and so we get curious, okay, who is this person? Who is this doctor? And, and so we find uh, some information on, on the, 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 the hospital's site or whatever. And it's introducing this doctor that saw my daughter, and it, it said her, her name, and it said her pronouns, she, they. And I was just like, I'm just like, look, I, forgive me if this, if, this, if this sounds like harsh, but like one of two things are happening here. For, for a medical doctor to say that they are she, they, either A, they're mentally ill. For them to actually think that they are more than one person, we, isn't that schizophrenia? Like, isn't that like when you think you have multiple things inside of you, isn't, that's mental illness. So either this medical doctor is mentally ill, or this B, this medical doctor, is going along with this absurdity of just rejecting biological truths and facts. I don't know which is worse, to be a mentally ill person and being responsible for the health and care of, of young children, or to just flat out reject truth, knowing that you're rejecting truth. I don't know what's worse. Another crazy thing that the world is doing, I don't know if you heard, the CDC has now given recommendations for, for men who are either mentally ill or they're, they're willing to go on with this nonsense for men to be able to breastfeed, oh sorry, chest feed. They gave recommendations, they're like, take this medication, if you're, if you're a man pretending to be a woman or if you're mentally ill and you think you're a woman, take this medication, it could help in producing uh, milk. Because, I mean, they use this medication for women, there are actual uses for this medication, however, it's dangerous for the baby, it's dangerous for their heart. But the CDC is saying, hey, if you're a man and you're mentally ill or you're pretending to be a woman, and you want to you wanna breastfeed, here's the way that you can do it. How absurd is that? Men do not breastfeed. Women do. But the world is going to do what the world does. And they will all reap the fruit of their deeds. But regardless, you keep seeking the Lord. You keep seeking the Lord and watch the Lord prosper you. And he will prosper you in a way that makes the most sense for his glory. Too many people... Too many people, they make the success that the Lord gives and, and they make the Bible all about them. All about them. The Bible that we read and the Bible that we study, it's not about us. It's about God. This Bible is about God. And so as you seek the Lord, he will prosper you and he will give you success, but it will be the prosperity and the success that corresponds with giving him the most glory possible. It, it will make much out of him. The success and the prosperity that he gives you, it will make much of him. And it may not be what you're envisioning. Success and prosperity, it meant prison for Paul. Success and prosperity, it, it meant persecution for the early church. It meant martyrdom for many. Success and prosperity meant a cross for Jesus. 
Will you be killed and severely persecuted? Most likely not, probably not. But the point that I'm making is that we cannot measure success and prosperity the same way that the world does. And as you seek the Lord, and you start to see true prosperity and success in the Lord, remain humble. Remember from whom all good gifts come from. It's the Father of lights. They all come from God. Serve your brothers and sisters. Serve them. Now, let me see where. I want to continue encouraging you guys to seek the Lord. I keep saying it, but it's important. Seek the Lord, and you will see the success and prosperity in Christ in your life. For those of you who may be feeling tired and burdened and feel like there's all kinds of weight on your shoulders, Jesus said that he wants to give you rest. He said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But he also said that you first need to come to him. God has a peace available that surpasses all understanding. He holds the key to a carefree life for those of you who are feeling anxious and stressed out. God holds the key for a carefree life. And he desires to give that key to us as children. But he says we first need to come to him in thankful prayer and communicate to him. God wants to give us the desires of our hearts. But he says first, your heart needs to change. If there's any spiritual lack in our lives, any peace missing, any confidence missing, any joy missing, is because we're not coming to the source of life. We're not coming to the source of life that, where we can get all that we need. We're ignoring him. If, there, if there's any peace missing, any confidence missing, any, any joy missing, it's because we're ignoring him on some level. But if we would just come to Jesus, to our rock and our redeemer, if we would truly understand our desperation, we sang a song last night, and I am desperate for you. If we truly understood our desperation for his presence and for his word and for his spirit, we would have all that we need and all the prosperity and all of the success in Christ that is available to us. We would be fulfilled and content and at peace and full of joy and full of life. We would lack nothing if we truly understood our desperation. So seek him. Seek the Lord as though he was the only true source of life because he is. And hopefully we can get through this very quickly because it's, it's getting a little late, but I, I, I don't like to go a Friday night without sharing the gospel. I, I really don't. Because I don't know who we got in here. And so for those of you in here who have not yet come into a saving faith in Jesus, or for those of you who maybe have a false or shallow understanding of the gospel, I just want to quickly share the gospel, provide an opportunity to make that profession of faith. The first thing that we must all understand is that we are all sinners. We all commit sin, be it stealing or lying, having sexual thoughts, or having sexual actions that are sexually immoral. We dishonor our parents. We, we, we are angry towards others. We want what others have for ourselves. We covet. The list of sins goes on and on. And we may think that our sins are harmless because they don't involve anybody else. You know, there are no victims as a result of your decision to get drunk. There's no victims as a result of you watching pornography or having consensual sex with other people. No one's, no one's hurt by you living in an actively homosexual lifestyle or a transgender lifestyle. 
And you may be right, there, there, there may be zero people negatively affected by these decisions, these sinful lifestyle choices, but what does God say about these things? What does the creator of the universe, the creator of you and me, what does he say about these things, and what does he say about these things in his word? And plain and simple, he says that these things are sinful. They are sinful. We see God's standard of perfection. He's given us a standard of perfection, and we see it in the Ten Commandments. We see it throughout other portions of Scripture. And if you believe, if there's anybody in here who believes that it would be unreasonable for God to enforce a rule or a law that has zero victims, you need to understand that it's not about victims. It's not about how your sin negatively affects others. It's not about how your sin may actually positively benefit you. You may think, no one's harmed by my sinful choices. They don't negatively affect others. This actually helps me doing this thing. It's not about that. It's about trusting what God says, trusting that what he says is true, and it's about obedience. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, God told them not to eat the fruit from this one tree. Don't eat the truth from the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it. He said that if they ate it, they would surely die. If they simply trusted in what he said and not eating the fruit, like, okay, God said that this fruit, no good. If I eat it, I'll die. Okay, this fruit is no good. I'm staying away from it. If they would have just done that, all would have been well. However, Satan came along to cast doubt on the trustworthiness of God's word. He twisted God's word. He told Eve that consuming that forbidden fruit would actually have a positive benefit. So if, if, if he, he said, if you would disobey God, if you would sin against God, you're actually going to have a positive benefit out of it. And, and the fruit, the Bible tells us that the fruit looked good. The Bible says that the tree, the tree, the whole tree itself, it looked like it was producing some nourishing and delicious fruit. Like it looked good. And plus it had the added benefit, the added incentive. Like, oh, I can be like God. Okay. But eating the fruit, it actually brought death to Adam and Eve. And so what is the same today? These things that we do, these, all of our victimless lifestyle choices, these sins that have no negative effect to others and they have a positive effect to us, these forbidden fruits, they appear nourishing, they appear delicious, they even appear to have a positive benefit. Like I'm finally living out my truth. All the, the drugs and the alcohol, they help to mellow me out. Life is stressful. I'm happier when I'm high. I've never felt like I belonged. I never felt like myself until I fully embraced this lifestyle. But these things are killing us. Regardless of how you feel, these things are killing us. Our sin has caused us to be born dead in our sins from birth. Born with a great need to be forgiven and born with a great need to be born again. Our sin has caused this. All of our victim-filled and victimless lifestyle choices they have killed us. How our sin affects others is relevant. What matters is how our sin affects our relationship with our God, with our creator, the judge of all the earth. And that effect, the effect that is caused by our sin is that we now have a debt that we cannot afford to pay. We owe a debt that we cannot afford to pay. God requires perfection, but we can't give perfection. So now we're gonna be punished for all of our imperfections and sins they're going to send us to hell. And these things are all decisions that we made. No one forced us to do these things. No one forced us to make these sinful choices. We made those decisions ourselves. But God being rich in mercy, 
because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our wrongdoings, he has made us alive together with Christ. God has taken care of the debt that we owe by paying the debt for us. He paid the penalty for us. God came to this earth as a man, Jesus Christ. He went to the cross, died on the cross, sacrificed for our sins, but that sacrifice was perfect, so he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead to prove this sacrifice is sufficient, and if you would just believe in what my son has done in sacrificing himself for your sins, I will take your sin, leave it on the cross, and I will take his righteousness and give that to you, and you could be born again. But you must come to him for forgiveness. You must acknowledge that you even need forgiveness. You must acknowledge that you're a sinner. You must acknowledge that he is Lord. You must believe that you can do nothing to be good enough and only what Jesus Christ has done can make you good enough. And you must also repent. Repent of your sinful lifestyle choices. Repent of your sins. And turn and follow after God instead. It's the free gift. Salvation is a free gift from God. There's nothing you can do to earn it, nothing you can do to deserve it. It's a free gift by his grace through faith. And when you believe, the Holy Spirit will come inside of you. He will cause you to be a new creature. He'll give you a new heart. You'll have new desires. And as you continue to follow after him, things will begin to change. And that will be the assurance that you have actually come to know him. So if there's anybody in here who has yet to make that profession of faith, I want to give you an opportunity to make that profession of faith. I want to pray for you. I can't give it to you. You have to receive it yourself. So if there's anybody here, I'll give you guys a few seconds to I just, just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. So if there's anybody here who doesn't have that salvation or forgiveness, just raise your hand because, like I said, I want to pray for you. I'll give you guys a few seconds if anybody. If there's nobody, that's fine. But if there's anybody, I don't want this night to go by without giving that opportunity. Michelle, all right. Well, right on. Well, cool. Let's, uh, let's pray and let's get the band back up here. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you that you've given us this opportunity to get into your word, that you've given us this opportunity to worship you. Because God, you, you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy to be worshiped, God. Who are we without you, Lord? We need you. We need you. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. We thank you for living inside of us, Lord. And I just pray that tonight we would all be encouraged. And like I said at the beginning of all this, God, I just pray that we would see you more clearly, that we would see you as holy and sovereign, and that we would honor you now in this, in this, in this time of closing worship, God. Thank you so much for, for what you've done for us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.